Sunday, January 30th, Andrei Bogoslavsky, New York City, new episode at a special request of one of my followers on Instagram, a young lady who is an artist. The subject of tonight's podcast is, what is the difference between drawing and painting from visible nature, dog, let's say, let it be a dog, your dog, your neighbor's dog, and a dog from your imagination? Well, it's a complicated issue, but I will try to dissect it as 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 well as I can. I have been a great student of Carl Jung in the past 20 years. I'm very passionate about Sigmund Freud, psychology, self-analysis, meditation since my teens, different forms of meditation. Qigong, Chinese Qigong, it's a health meditation. It's all about qi energy within you. And Om, Om meditation, Pranayam, it's a Hindu technique I'm working on in the past 20 years. So it's it's basically about, and there is a zazen. Zazen is Japanese meditation, which is basically about um, allowing your consciousness, subconsciousness, to enter a, a zone of absolute void, emptiness uh, within your consciousness, not to think anything. So there are different techniques. Uh, I'm talking about meditation because it has a direct relationship with the power of your imagination, with what you imagine. Well, let's say you're sitting at the bus stop and waiting for a bus to come, and you have your little notebook, as I recommended, you purchase for $5, and you pull it out, it has 50 pages, you pull out a little pencil, and you see a lady across the street walking a dog. So you make this very quick sketch, these five lines, a figure, a leash, and a little dog. So it looks like three stains, or two stains and a little line between them. A little dog and a lady figure and, and a dog. And then... As she passed by, you're thinking to yourself, that law, that dog was as ugly as hell. And you think to yourself, that dog reminds me of, of this dream I had last year about those ducks flying over, over the lake. Now, what do ducks have to do with the dog? Well, I don't know. This is your imagination. I'm just giving you an example. That paradoxical... Um, coincidences in, in human imagination can bring out creative process. And this is really up to you to analyze <coughs> what the ducks over the lake mean to you, because to somebody else, ducks over the lake might mean something peaceful, loving, and amazing. And to you personally, du ducks flying over the lake means that there is a storm coming and there is a disaster will be happening in your life and you're full of fear. So you're painting uh, uh, when you go back to the studio or you sit on a bench at the, at the bus stop and making a second drawing, uh, not the ducks over the lake, but this monster that looks like a dog that is similar to the dog who just passed by two minutes ago, but it's not really a dog. It's like this, this, this bunch of hairy bundle, hard to explain what it is, some kind of creature. But that creature, that bizarre, abstract, unexplained with three eyeballs and five ears and, and horns, 
expresses your fear you had in your dream when the ducks were flying over the lake. Now, do you understand how complex and multi-layered human psyche is? So it is very complex and multi-layered. But you as a human being, you have enough intelligence and enough analytical tools to try to understand yourself. The process of thinking, how do you think? It's a science of linguistics, okay? So this, this is what linguistics analyze, how human brain puts thoughts together and later puts them in words and expresses words. <coughs> and it's closely related to visual arts, why do we paint, you know, a buffalo on a cave wall 20, 30,000, 50,000 years ago or wild boar? What does it have to do with anything? What does it have to do with survival? I personally don't know, okay? Anthropologists, scientists, psychologists analyze those origins of human, of human artwork. There was a species three and a half million years ago in Africa... Uh, they, they weren't even uh, Homo erectus. They were like completely look like gorillas. They're called they're called Australopithecus of uh, uh, something something. They were completely carved. They were bipedal. They were walking on two legs, and they did make some kind of primitive stone tools, but they were really primitive. They were just sharpened uh, boulders. They weren't they weren't really knives. They were they were just boulders. They were cracking bone marrow out of out. Of of, um, they were scavenging. They were scavenging bone marrow after lions had their feast, after hyenas, <coughs> this, 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 this monkeys, this uh, uh, Australopithecus afrolensis, I think it's called. Three and a half million years ago, one of those picked up a rock that resembles a face. It has these two holes like an eyeball and two holes resembling a nose. Well, it doesn't resemble human face, but it's sort of pig's face. But I have a copy of this photograph and deposited this rock in a cave in a layer of soil that is three and a half million years old. So now we know there were no Homo sapiens, no Homo erectus three and a half million years ago, but there were those creatures. And one of them picked up this rock that looked like a face. Face recognition technology is, is genetic. You know, some behavior after 10,000 years becomes genetic. Eating milk, milk, for instance, by, by early uh, horse riders in the great stops of Russia 3,000 BC, 5,000 years ago, uh, they, they created genetic adaptation that now a lot of people have to consume lactose after you grow up. Before that, people didn't have that adaptation. You understand? So it takes time for human behavior to kick in the genes. People uh, started eating grains 10,000 years ago because they were starving, so they started eating grass. They, they had no food. So now we have agriculture, and everybody's happy eating, you know, popcorn and, and, and bread. <laughs> Society, you know, people are hooked on bread, on starch and milk. I'm hooked on milk. I, I grew up on goat's milk, you know, till age uh, 11, 12, till we left Russia. And I am addicted to goat's milk. You know, anytime I make it to Trader Joe's, I buy as much goat milk as I can carry home. I don't have a car. So the point I'm trying to say, to make, 
your imagination is a very complicated uh, uh, show. It's like a it's like a Broadway show, and it's happening all the time. And the scientists who are studying dreams and uh, patterns of sleep, they actually say that human brain is working a lot when you're asleep. So you go into this RAM sleep every three hours or so. So in a eight hours of all night sleep, you you basically fall asleep and we income wake up well you don't really get out of bed but you you come out of ram sleep three times or two times or three times and as you are in the ram sleep your imagination your brain works very actively so you have a broadway show in your head in your imagination and you don't remember it when you wake up that's fine you're not supposed to you know a lot of psychiatrists say when you sleep your brain it's like a turning off, rebooting a computer. It needs to clean up because there is a, a scientific hypothesis that human consciousness is actually electromagnetic phenomena. Okay? Electromagnetic phenomena. You know, the, the molecules assemble themselves into RNA, into complex molecules, and then later into RNA, later into DNA, because of their electromagnetic forces. You understand? Small electromagnetic forces, small force, it's called in physics. There are five forces that are, that are constant in the universe, and one of them is electromagnetism. So, so there is a specu speculative, speculative uh, hypothesis that consciousness, what you consider a self, or soul, or Atman in Hinduism, is actually electromagnetic consciousness. There was a movie called uh, 21 Grams. So apparently when a human being dies, his body loses 21 grams on an instance. Well, that is also very speculative because when, when chemical processes stop in human body, there is, there is stops, the heartbeat stops. When there is less motion within the body, it weighs less. Basically, the physics are such, if five-pound ball is rolling on the floor fast, the faster it rolls, the heavier it is. It's not five pounds, it's much heavier. When it's still sitting on the floor, it's only five pounds. It's exactly five pounds. So the same might be with these electromagnetic forces. But nevertheless... What is your imagination? What's happening in your head? And what is the difference between this dog who is sitting in front of you and the dog in your head you had in your dream of the flying ducks? Well, it's a big, 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 big difference. But you have to understand the complexity of the symbolism. And it's really up to you how you're going to paint the dog from your imagination. Your dog from your imagination, you know, in, in Greek in Greek mythology, there was a dog who was guarding entrance and exit to hell to, to, to what's his name, uh, the god of underworld, and, and, and Hercules, you know, contained him. He didn't kill him, but he contained him. Hercules brought him to his king, and then the king said, no, no, no take him back to, to underworld. So he had three heads. The dog had three heads, and all the Greeks believe there is a dog with three heads, okay? There is a dog with three heads. Everybody knew it was a matter of fact that there is Zeus, lightning, 
and there are earthquakes and sea storms and that's Poseidon and that that's how it was there was no Jesus there was no one God there were previous gods Kronos the the father of Zeus and Hera and all the gods that Greeks knew but but Zeus uh, you know cut his testicles with a sickle Oh boy, what a story! You know these Greek gods—they—they're really full of blood and love and affairs. So what I'm trying to tell you: all the mythology, all the movies you're going to see now about Superman and uh, Pokemon and SpongeBob—all of this is based on human imagination, which is based on human subconsciousness. Human subconsciousness operates on one specific instinct, it's called instinct for survival. So there, there are different uh, ways that humans survive, any species survive, is to attack or to retrieve. So you either you acquire you acquire food by attacking, by killing, or or by climbing the tree and eating the fruit, by doing something, t- t- taking an action. Or you, you see a face in the bushes and it happens to be a lion. So then you know you need to climb the tree again. <laughs> but not for a fruit, but try to climb as fast as possible and try to grab your baby with you because you want your tribe, your, your genes. Well, you know, we didn't know we have genes till 1950s, uh, but you want your children to survive because you are teaching your children good things, to do right thing. So 20 years from now, the world will be a better place than it is today. So this is why you choose to do the right thing. You choose not to steal people's viral accounts on TikTok. By the way, my account was hacked by by somebody who is actually a involved in international sex trafficking and he creates very sick artwork. I had conversations with him on Instagram. He's in his 30s. He's a convicted felon, sex offender, lives in Florida, and he's also a hacker. So, <coughs> and we, we're going to figure him out and he committed serious crime. I don't care about that viral account anymore. I encourage you to follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, <coughs> but especially here on Spotify, you have opportunity to learn basic technical skills to be an artist. Well, this episode is about imagination versus reality. I recommend to develop your skills drawing from reality because even if you draw in your your imaginatory dreams and fantasies, even if you want to draw this girl you saw yesterday, she was she was in the bus and and you were sitting five feet away and she was so pretty, pretty, pretty. You came back home and you really want to draw her face, but you don't have a photograph, right? So you don't need a photograph. So you draw this face, and as you in the process of drawing, you realize that she doesn't exactly look the way she looks in real life you saw yesterday in the bus, but what you drew is actually the depiction of your absolute image of beauty. This is what you're attracted to. I, it's, it's a very bizarre phenomenon that is happening with me. I was painting a face of my second future wife for five years. Yes, and I meet this woman, and then we fall in love, and a year later we get married, and uh, 
And but then I realized, oh my God, I've been painting her body shapes, proportions, but especially her face for about five years before I met her. You understand? And then, and then uh, before the divorce, our marriage was falling apart for a couple years. I started painting uh, faces with blue eyes. Well, my youngest daughter has blue eyes. My middle has green eyes, and my oldest has brown eyes. So I started painting uh, beautiful women with blue eyes. And now I have a girlfriend, you know, five years after the divorce, who has blue eyes. So, uh, and, and, and this, this, this sort of Germanic, my second wife was American-Irish, but now these Germanic faces started appearing in my artwork long years before I met my current girlfriend. So this is what I'm trying to tell you. Human imagination is so unlimited, so infinite, but it's complicated. It's very complicated. When you're drawing a bizarre tree standing by itself in the middle of the fields, suddenly you start thinking about the birds. And then you start thinking about the sunset. And then you start thinking about some kind of creatures on the horizon crawling towards the tree. And then you realize what you're talking about is actually apocalypse, the end of the world. And this is how you see it. But you didn't know that five minutes ago when you started painting a beautiful tree. This is what I'm trying to tell you. The process, the creative process, as you go, you discover yourself. You discover your thinking. You discover your thoughts as they come, as they come. But in order to enjoy this process, you need to acquire information. You need to develop your Science. Basically, you need to study science. You need to understand the relationship between biology, astronomy, and uh, mathematics. <laughs> Basically, there, everything is connected. And I'm not the first one to say it. Oh, my God. I just posted, uh, no, I haven't posted it yet, Leonardo da Vinci words that everything is connected. This guy was 500 years ago. There was no microscope. There was no microscope. It was 100 years before microscope. Everything is connected. <coughs> and my, my, my microscope doesn't explain everything is connected. There was no nuclear science. There was no quantum physics 500 years ago. You understand? People didn't have toilet paper 500 years ago. Oh, my God. So what I'm trying to tell you, there were crazy people in, in our past. There was a guy, Giordano Bruno. What the hell? This guy was saying there are other planets uh, uh, circling uh, the, the stars on the sky, that the stars on the sky are actually just like our sun. Why he was saying that? Who the hell ever told him that? Why did he figure this out? Did he dream it? Did it come to his in his dream? He, he got burned at the stake. You know, Catholic Church decided he's a crazy monk and he's talking too much. They couldn't shut him up, so they burned him alive. Okay? Socrates was forced to drink poison to commit suicide at his late age in his 60s by the citizens of Athens who thought very highly of him for some time. And he had many, many students, but ultimately... 
the citizens, the wealthy citizens of Athens, decided that he's pissing people off, that he's talking too much, he's being too critical, and his students are sort of, you know, like anarchists, like are teasing everybody and questioning the establishment. So they had a big court and they accused him of corrupting the youth and they... The, the verdict was uh, commit suicide. <laughs> and he drank poison for three days, vomited blood, and died. And his uh, student Plato established the school of Platonism. And this is how we have the, the contemporary Western philosophy, beginning from Socrates, Plato, you understand? So what I'm trying to tell you, your imagination is infinite, is so infinite. As I keep saying, mind is infinite, love is infinite, my consciousness is immortal. These are my beliefs. These are my personal beliefs. If this is what I believe, I explore it to the full extend. If I'm dealing with infinite mind, my explorations are infinite in its nature. I can keep going forever because it's infinite. And this is the joy of life. This is the joy of self-discovery. This is the joy of being an artist is self-discovery. I didn't know shit about myself 10 years ago. I didn't know shit about myself a year ago. I thought I knew everything a year ago when I posted that video with uh, I'm papaya and ants and eating ants. I thought I had figured this out. No, no. So presuming I didn't know shit a year ago, I didn't know shit 10, 20 years ago, I probably know shit today. Presuming my mind is infinite, presuming tomorrow I will know more because I keep pushing, I keep pushing, I keep pushing. Self-discovery, science, knowledge, acquiring information, and cre plus creative process. Creating, creating, acquiring information, science, acquiring information, and creating new drawings. Uh, painting from life, painting from imagination, you understand? Uh, sharing wisdom with the young people here on podcast and all over social media. Everything is one thing. This is what I call my life. And I'm encouraging you as a, as a young artist to, to follow more or less the same pattern. You understand? You don't have to paint the dog and, and the tree and the apocalypse and the flying ducks over the lake. No, my God. You and the dog with the lady across the street. No, of course not. I'm giving you mechanisms, mechanisms, tools for self-discovery. I recommended many books on TikTok. I recommend those books on, on Instagram. These are ancient books. They're, they're ancient books. They're tools of self-discovery and learning about the universe. Chinese, Tao Te Ching. Tao Te Ching, written by Lao Tzu, 500 BCE. Bhagavad Gita, part of Mahabharata, written, written small books, they're 120 pages, written, written about 2000 BCE. Uh, Dhammapada, the words of the Buddha, it's a key to self-discovery, enlightenment, and overcoming suffering, you understand? Diamond Sutra, uh, Buddha's tools, how to, how to, understand reality. So these are very, very small books. It's not a big deal. It's not a 300-page novel about two guys who went to war and one of them... No, 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 no. These are very small books, but I recommend you get them in a hardcover so you can keep them for a long time because... 
you will be going back to those books throughout your life. I'm not the one, the first one to say it. Thank you for listening.